Family Schmamly, and we're excited about this five-week series. Um, this is something we've learned from one of our mentors named Andy, and it is it's so impactful for us. We want to share it with you as accurately as possible. So family, I know for me, I can speak for myself, I have offended and I've been offended. I have hurt and I have been hurt. I've made mistakes and I've had mistakes thrust upon me. I have been on Facebook blocked and mocked and shocked. I've been, I've gone off half cocked and occasionally I've rocked. But more often than that, down a few pegs I am knocked. I've needed to be socked, even clocked. Here's the full value of Harley stock. It says, I have been an imperfect son, imperfect brother, imperfect uncle, husband, and father. That's me. Now, how about you? Is your reality anything like mine? Have you been hurt? And have you hurt? Have you ever looked at another family and said, man, I wish my family was like that? Or have you looked at another family and said, I wish that was my family? Have you gone on Craigslist and put yourself up for adoption? Have you tried to put your family on Craigslist for sale? You can pick your friends. Unfortunately, you can pick your nose, but you can't pick your family. You're stuck with them. No one in your family is as smart as you at least when you're in high school and in your 20s, and then you grow a little older and you realize, well, you don't know that much after all. And the people who do think they know that much, their family's running away from them. So you open up the Bible and you say, let me get some help out of the Bible here with my family. And you realize in the Old Testament, it is full, almost completely full of bad examples of family. And it starts off that way. You've got Adam and Eve and creation. I mean, it doesn't go so well. The very first murder ever recorded happens in their family. And it doesn't get much better as you move through the Old Testament. Adam and Eve get kicked out of the garden and things don't go so well for the rest of creation. And so then we go to the New Testament. We look for some examples there. And we just honestly, we don't find many examples in the New Testament of family. But in the New Testament, we do find some commands. We do find some exhortations telling us, here's what family needs to be like. But we look at that teaching from the first century, um, and we're like, but this is the 21st century. I mean, that's old-fashioned. That's old school. But when you look at those words that were written in the first century, those those things that they wrote about family were, were mind-blowing. They were earth-shattering, especially what they said about women and children. Because in the first century, at that time, and before that, women and children were not valued in the first century. You know, have you ever noticed in the Bible when they do head counts, it's always the men? They just, they didn't value. It's not because they were just counting the men. They didn't value in that culture women and children. So when the apostles began to take the teachings of Jesus and apply those to what it would look like in the family, especially for women and children, it was revolutionary. So 
when we look at those teachings from the perspective of our culture in the 21st century in the USA today, we look at those things and we say, well, that's old fashioned. I mean, that's a great grandma's way of doing things. But in the first century, wow, this was astounding. Now, there are women even today who their culture kind of treats them as if they were women in the first century. And their culture and their religion, it's not Christianity for sure, but their culture and their religion treats them with the value that was ascribed to women in the first century. So that means they don't have a lot of value in their culture and their religion. And they look at the women in the United States and they say, I want a life more like that. And they find themselves in their culture actually fighting against their culture and fighting against their religion to get the same type of freedoms that we have. And ours go all the way back to this first century, to this teaching of Jesus. So the New Testament has opened the door, literally opened the door for women and for children. Because Jesus tells them, he said, listen, I, I died for everyone. I didn't just die for men. And Jesus gives women the same value and children the same value, the same value that men had in that culture. And for us, the Christian perspective, it's almost what we expect today. As we read it, it's a little bit old fashioned, we might say. It's a little bit old school, we might say. But as they were hearing these words and reading these words in the first century, it was astounding. It was blowing their minds. So what we're going to do very quickly, I just kind of want to run through the basic New Testament summary of what does the Bible say? It doesn't say a lot. So of what does the Bible say in the New Testament about family? We're going to present that to you. Let's kind of run through some verses. And here's what the Bible says about family, starting with Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents. And we're like, yeah, I like that one. <laughs> That's a good one. Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. And parents are like, yes, <laughs> I like that one. That's a good one. Do it because Jesus says... Kids, do it. Yeah. <laughs> then we get to Colossians chapter 3, verse 18. We're a little more quiet. Wives, submit to your husbands as it is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. And you're like, what? You don't know my husband. Now, like, hang on. We got another verse. Husbands, verse 19, love your wives and never treat them harshly. Now, this is interesting. He said, never treat them harshly. Why? Why would he say don't treat them harshly? Because they treated them harshly. Because they did not, in this culture, they did not have the value of other men. They, and so the women and children in this culture had a value just slightly above the livestock. And I'm not trying to be funny. That's the reality and they treated their livestock harshly. They treated their wives harshly. And Paul is saying, Jesus is saying no to that. He's saying, love your wives. Love them. He's saying it is important how you treat 
your wives. And this, to us, we're saying, yes, that sounds normal. That's what should happen. But in this culture, this was revolutionary. Revolutionary. Verse 20, he kind of repeats this, children, obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord. And then he lowers the the boom. (laughs) Verse 21, fathers, do not aggravate your children or they will become discouraged. You may be familiar with a different phrase if you've heard this verse. I've got it on the screen for you. Colossians 3.21 in another translation. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so they won't become discouraged. You know what he's saying? He's saying don't use words and behaviors. Don't have attitudes that place a weight upon your children, a weight that they can't bear. He's saying don't place that weight on them that tears them down instead of building them up. And you know the interesting thing? You see, a mom's words can weigh, as Andy says, 25 pounds. But a dad's words, those very same words out of a dad's mouth will weigh 500 pounds. And he said, be careful. And this is amazing to me that this was written 2,000 years ago. And Paul, through the Holy Spirit, had the insight to know the impact of a dad's words. He did not say, mothers, don't exasperate your children. He's, why? Because he knew, he knew the propensity of fathers to wear their kids out with their words. And he said, fathers, don't treat your children like an employee. Be careful how you speak to your kids. Now, I, I look at this command This one command right here, and I think to myself, how many times have I blown this over and over and over and over again? Am I alone here? Continually, continually. And and it's not saying that the words you say are not true. You may be saying true things to your child, but he's saying be careful how you say them. Be careful. Watch out. And then Peter joins in. Here's another verse. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. In the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together, he says. And we see this, and it's like old school. That's old news. That's kind of common. That makes sense. But in that culture, in that culture, they're like, what? Understanding? What do you mean? Why should I treat my wife with understanding Understand this, I had no choice in marrying her. My parents did that. They stuck me with her. Her parents, my parents got together and they decided. And so why should I be understanding with this when I'm stuck with this person? They, this, this was revolutionary for them to hear this. And it goes on. Peter says, she may be weaker than you are. And that's talking about physical, that people are just made different. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your, this is so revolutionary, equal partner in God's gift of new life. You know what he's saying? She is your equal. And that was unheard of. That was unheard of. He's saying the cross made all things equal. You're a child of God. She's a child of God. She is equal to you. Equal. That was a big deal. And then he says, treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. And that's pretty much it. 
I mean, that's what the New Testament says about family. Husbands, love your wives and be considerate always. Wives, submit to your husbands always. That's what it says. Children, obey your parents always. Dads, don't irritate your kids. That's it. High five or 10 and I'm out of here. That's what the Bible says about family. But we think about that and we look at that and it's like, I, I mean, I read a small list and I can already see a lot of ways that I have kind of missed it. If that's God's list, I've missed it. And here's the deal. That list we just read God presents that to you and he holds it out here and he says, this is my desire for you. This is my desire for your home. This is my desire for your family. This is my ideal. This is my best. You do this and you've got my best. But we all look at that list and we say, uh, okay, I, the ideal family, husbands, love your wives perfectly and always be considerate. Okay, we've missed that. Wives, submit to your husbands. Okay, we've missed that. Children, obey your parents the first time and with a great attitude. And we say, we've missed that. Dads, don't wear your kids out with heavy words. We've missed that. We've missed God's ideal. We've missed God's best. We've missed it. Because see here, I live in this reality. And over here is God's ideal. This is real, what I live, and over here is God's ideal. And because your family, the one you grew up in, you grew up in a real family. And it may have been more ideal than the family you're in now, or it could have been a little less ideal. But the fact is, it was real, and God's ideal is over here, right there. And there's a gap between my real and between what God says, this is my best, this is what I want for you, this is what I expect, this is the ideal. And there's a gap. There's a gap. And that gap between what I really have in my family and what God says is his ideal, that gap makes me uncomfortable. And that gap makes me feel tense. There's tension there. It creates tension for us because it is very clear to us when we look at the ideal and then we look at our lives, it's very clear to us that there's a difference. I have missed and you have missed. We have missed God's ideal. And Jesus, over and over and over in the scripture, in the New Testament, Jesus taught, here's the ideal. No matter what he was talking about, here's the ideal. This is what I expect. This is God's best. This is what I want. But he refused to condemn those of us who missed his ideal. He refused to condemn us. And that's the essence of the gospel. You see, Jesus always pointed toward God's ideal. He lifted up the standard over and over again. He lifted up the standard. He taught things like this. The kingdom of heaven is like this. And it was the ideal. The kingdom of heaven is like this. It was God's standard. And then he would say, go and do likewise. And then he would say to other people, go and sin no more. And he would say things like, you have heard this, but I tell you this. So he'd say, you have heard this standard here, but no, nope, no, nope, I tell you this. And he would raise it higher. 
He would raise their accepted standard higher and say, you thought this was the standard. Nope, it's way up here. So let me give you an example. They had an idea in their mind of what adultery was. Okay, adultery, going outside of your marriage to have sex with somebody else. Adultery, right? That's what we think of. And Jesus said, nope, that's, that's not it. It's even higher than that. Your standard's here. That's not it. God's standard, it's way up here. Jesus said, even if you simply look at someone with lust, you've committed adultery. He said, here is the standard. Jesus said, it happens here with your eyes. I mean, you haven't even done anything physically yet. He said, it happens here with your eyes and here in your mind. That's where it's adultery. And he raised the standard so high that every man who heard him say that immediately was labeled according to God's standard an adulterer. And everyone who would ever read those words in the future, everyone, all the men for sure, and we're just going to assume most of the women, every adulterer at that moment, you miss the standard, God says. He said, you had the standard here, that's wrong, it's way up here, and he held that standard high. Wow. And we look at that and we say, but Jesus, so if that's the standard, and that's the standard of adultery, then Jesus, what are you going to do? What are you going to do to all those people, all of us who have missed that standard? And according to your standard, Jesus, we are adulterers. In that day and time, adultery was a capital offense. They would be put to death for adultery. What are you going to do to us, Jesus, for missing that standard, your standard of adultery? And Jesus would say, I'm going to forgive you. So Jesus, you're saying this is the standard this is the standard, but this is my real life. Where Are you on the side of the standard or are you on my side over here? And he would say, both. He raised the standard so high and held it up. You know how high it was? It was high. But you know how much grace he had for you and for me and for them, it was just as deep as the standard was high. And that's why Jesus is the perfect picture of grace and truth. Because he taught the truth, the standard. He said, this is it. This is God's ideal. But he refused to condemn the people who failed to reach it. But for us, we look at that standard and we look at ourselves and it creates tension, it creates discomfort. So we have a decision to make with that tension and that discomfort. Do we keep God's standard held high or do we just excuse it away, maybe lower the standard 
to relieve the tension that we feel because there's a gap between my life and God's standard. And to relieve that, we just lower it. We just pass it by. Do we keep God's ideal in front of us or do we look away and just just say, oh, that's just old fashioned. I mean, that's first century stuff. We're in the 21st century. That was for a different time, a different culture. No one does that today. That was for then, but this is the real world. This is the real now. Everybody knows everybody does this. They do it like this. This is the way it happens. This is normal for today. That was then. This is now. Will we embrace God's ideal? An ideal that we may never have as a reality for our own family. Or will we be tempted to dismiss it so we can simply feel better about our lives? Now, Jesus gives us many examples. I, I, I've got one here for us. An example of this tension that we feel when God gives us the ideal and we realize where our lives are for real. So I'm going to share this example with you. So hang tight. Buckle your theater seatbelt. We're going to read about some, uh, a little passage here, and we're going to make some comments about it. And this is emotional for us. This, this is uncomfortable for us. But for Jesus, he seemed comfortable in this uncomfortable conversation. And this is the same way I believe Jesus wants us to be related to this. He wants us to be comfortable being uncomfortable. He wants us to be like him, to be comfortable with this tension, to acknowledge it, to be comfortable in this discomfort. So let me present this scenario to you. Matthew chapter 19, verse 3. Some Pharisees wanted to test Jesus. So we know immediately this was not a positive conversation. They wanted to trick him, test him, kind of find out what's going on so they could poke holes in what he was doing. They came up to him and they asked, is it right for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? Let me explain to you what that phrase meant, because to us, that's just a sentence. But let me tell you, give you the context of this. In the first century, there were two rabbis that taught about divorce specifically. They taught two very opposite things. One of them taught that a man can get divorced for absolutely any and every reason. Talk about a no-fault divorce. This was the, the no-fault divorce. Any and every reason. And this rabbi said, it's okay with God if you do that. And... So literally, if they, a man could come home and if his wife burned the eggs for breakfast, then he could divorce her because the eggs were burned. That's what it, and they, that's as bizarre and ludicrous as it was. And they're saying, Jesus, can a man, you follow this rabbi who teaches that a man can divorce any a woman for any reason. That's what I'm saying. You know how he divorced her? He just simply had to say three times, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you. And they were divorced. No court, no judge, no nobody to make sure everything was equitable, that the wife was treated okay, and that she could take care of the kid. Nothing. None of that. I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you. Now pack your bags, get out, sayonara, see you later, so long, sucka. Don't let the door hit you where the good Lord split you. Be gone. And they were gone. That was it. Just say that three times. Now, if the wife wanted to get divorced, it was a little more difficult because she couldn't. There was no reason ever at all she never could divorce her husband. 
And he just had to say, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you, get out. They were done. And they said, Jesus, do you believe that? Or here was the other option. The other rabbi taught that a man could get divorced, only a man, from his wife if there was some kind of grievous sexual sin involved. And then he could divorce her. And that was basically their question. Jesus, which rabbi do you line up with? The one that says you can get divorced for any and every reason or this other guy? What do you say, Jesus? That's what they were asking. So Jesus, understanding that most of these men agreed with the no-fault divorce, it was just like, hey, just tell her goodbye, because that benefited them, obviously. Jesus decides to temporarily skip the question, and Jesus goes to the standard, and he holds it up high. So he doesn't answer their question yet. He does in a moment, but he doesn't answer their question right now. Here's what he says to them. Verse 4, Jesus answered, don't you know in the beginning? So here's what he's saying. He said, I know, guys, you're talking about right now, real life, right now, the here and now, what's going on now. I'm not going to talk about that. I'm going to go back to the beginning. Let's go all the way back to the beginning. Let's go to where this all started. Let's start there because you're a little confused you're talking about the here and now. I want to talk about the standard. So he goes all the way back. He said, he said, I know this is going to create some discomfort. This is emotional. This is going to be uncomfortable for you to hear. There's going to be some tension involved, fellas. But we're going to go back to the beginning, to God's standard. He said, don't you know that in the beginning, the creator, and by the way, the book of John tells us Jesus, he's the creator. The creator made man and woman. Don't you know this, fellas? That's what he's saying. Verse 5, that's why a man leaves his father and mother and gets married. He becomes like one person with his wife. In verse 6, they, then they are no longer two people, but one. He said they're one. They, two people, and God makes them one. That's what he says. And then he says this, and no one should separate a couple that God has joined together. He said this, he said, I know you want to talk about divorce, but he's saying, listen, I want to talk about God's standard. I want to talk about God's best. I want to talk about the way God made it to work and to function. He said, this is it. Jesus said, this is the standard. When God makes two people one, he's saying they should stay one. That's what he wants. That's my standard. That's what's expected. He said, that's the ideal. I'm holding it up high. That's it. And the men say, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Verse 7, the Pharisees asked Jesus, well, why did Moses say that a man could write out divorce papers and send his wife away? Jesus is saying, all right, fellas, listen, I know many of you have missed this standard. And I know this makes you uncomfortable. God intended, though, when you got married, here's what he's saying, God intended for you to stay married. And I know that makes you uncomfortable. He said, I know, I know, I know that makes some tension here. Because here's the ideal. But we're living in the real. And I know people get married. I know life happens. I know people get divorced. But he's saying that's not God's design from the start, from the beginning. That wasn't his plan. That wasn't his best. That wasn't his ideal. And it's as if Jesus is saying, I'm comfortable with this tension of knowing here's the ideal. But you've missed it. You're in the real. 
And maybe, just maybe we should get comfortable, get comfortable with being uncomfortable when we're faced with God's standard. Verse 8, so Jesus replies to their Moses comment. Jesus replied, you you are so heartless. That's why, that's why Moses allowed you to divorce your wife. He's saying, listen, we had to give you some allowances because your lives, we knew you got married and things happened and relationships deteriorated. So we put that in there. But then he said, but from the beginning, God did not intend it to be that way. He's saying divorce was not God's plan is what he's saying. So we say, Jesus, well, what do we do with that? I mean, what do we do with that, Jesus? If that's your standard and we have missed it, what do we do with that? And Jesus would simply say, acknowledge it. Just admit, acknowledge that. Well, Jesus, what are you going to do with all of us divorced people? If that's your standard, Jesus, and we've missed it, what are you going to do to us? And Jesus would say, I'm not going to do anything to you. I'm going to do something for you. Well, Jesus, what are you going to do for all of us divorced people? And he would say, I'm going to give my life for you. But Jesus, that looks like you're just letting people off the hook. So what is it, Jesus? Is it a rule or is it not a rule? Is it like a standard or you on our side instead? And Jesus would say, yes, yes. You see, there's a tension there. And we the creation of God, we are not to relieve, to lessen, to lower that tension that exists. And if we do, we lose something great. If we do, we lose God's, we lose God's grace. He's saying, keep the standard high, hold it high, even in the face of real life, even in the face of you and me missing that standard, still hold it up in front of you. Get comfortable being uncomfortable, get comfortable with that tension between here's, here's the ideal and here's my real life. And there's a gap. I've missed it. He says, get comfortable with that tension. And you see, this is just one example. You understand that tension between ideal and our real lives. And as we apply this to our family, if you're a Christ follower, you are instructed to follow Jesus into the complexity of family life and to carry with you that discomfort that comes with holding up the ideal in the face of my real, even if it seems that you have missed it, even if it seems or the reality is that you've messed up and you've blown it, maybe, maybe you will never be able to meet that ideal. And maybe, 
There are things in our lives that we would go back and do differently and change, but we can't because we have what we have, and it is real, our real lives. And he says, Jesus says, carry that discomfort, that tension with you, and keep, keep that standard in front of you, and hold it high, and carry that tension with you. So here's the question for us. The question is this, as we through this series look at God's ideal for the family, his standard for the family, his best for the family, and many of us, if I might say all of us, will fall short, will fall short of that. Will we embrace that high standard still, or Will we choose to just simply redefine terms and dismiss that standard as ancient and old school and not applicable to today so that we can relieve our discomfort and feel better about where we are in our real life? So the question, will we choose to embrace that standard that we will fall short of, but embrace it? Nonetheless, as God's best, God's ideal, and allow it to be our goal that we slowly, continually strive toward and grow toward and move toward? Or am I going to change the rules so that I feel better about where I am in life? And as Christ followers... We don't have the luxury. We, we don't have permission to dismiss and say, well, that's just old school. That's ancient. That's great grandma's way of doing things. That family ideal that we read from at the beginning that Paul and Peter wrote about. At that time, it was revolutionary, and it elevated the status of women and children in the family. And it said in the family, husbands, husbands and fathers and wives, here's the ideal. Here's how I want you to be. And that ideal is going to make us feel uncomfortable from time to time. And, and we're going to be tempted to check out and just pass it off and dismiss it. Because we can feel so condemned by God's ideal, by his words about this is my standard for family. So the question, will we be willing to keep looking at and to hold up his standard high, even in the face of us missing it, but embrace that discomfort the gap between my real life and his ideal. And in that gap, I have sadness. Will we embrace the ideal and walk through that sadness and walk through that pain between the real and the ideal? And we don't like pain and sadness. That's why we lower the standard. But will we be willing to walk through it? And you know what else is in there? Between my real and God's ideal, there is a boatload of regret. And will you be willing to walk through that? Will you be willing? Knowing, 
knowing that as we walk through that, the gap between what is real and God's ideal, if we will hold that standard high and walk with, stick close to Jesus, as as high as the standard is that he's given us, that's how deep and wide the grace is that he's going to pour out on our lives. Or will we decide to simply just change the rules and lower the standard to make us feel more comfortable in this real world? And if we do decide that, we're going to miss out on the richness, the depth, the density of his grace, and we're going to lose something significant. So let's, let's be honest. Even with the tension involved, let's just be honest. I don't know one person who was raised in an abusive home that wants their children to experience or grandchildren to experience that abuse. No. Instead, they would look at God's ideal and they would say, that's what I want for my child. That's what I want for my grandchild. That's what I want. I I want them to have God's ideal as a husband and God's ideal as a father. That's what I want in my child's family, in my grandchild's family. I don't know one person who has gone through the pain and the loneliness of divorce that would wish that upon their child or their grandchild. No, they are praying. They're praying that their child, that their grandchild finds someone who will love them the way God designed them to be loved and treat them with understanding and honor them and cherish them. Our child and our grandchild cherish them for life. And we look at that ideal and we say, that's what I want for my child or my grandchild. Though we may not have experienced that as a parent. Because we want something different for them. And even though it's uncomfortable to hold both sides of this, the ideal versus the real that I live in, my real, it's uncomfortable. And it can be painful to stare at that ideal that I've missed. But Jesus invites you and he invites me in this 21st century to re-embrace his first century values that changed the world. And they'll change your world still today. While most of the world turns their back, on God's ideal. They say, oh, it's just old school. That's the old way. That's great grandma's way of doing things. As Christ followers, may we dare not say no to the gift that Jesus gave women and children as he elevated their value. And yes, sometimes I exasperate my children. And no, no, Sometimes maybe you don't submit to your husband. And no, maybe sometimes he's not even worthy to lead the family. And no, we don't always obey our parents. And no, I don't always love my wife like Jesus loved the church. And yes, I get it wrong a lot. 
but I'm not going to change the rules so I feel better about myself as a husband and a father and you, you not changing the rules so you feel better as a wife. I'm willing, I'm willing. Will you be willing to live with the discomfort between my reality and God's ideal? Will you be willing to live with the discomfort? And that is the context for this series. The context that is, we have real lives in the 21st century right now, and we have what we have. And then there's God's ideal. And we're asking you through the course of this series to embrace His ideal even though we've missed it, embrace it and slowly move in that direction. May we not lower God's ideal so that we can feel better about our real. Embrace the ideal and live in deep overflowing grace that he gives you and me. Let's pray. Father, there is so much emotion about family. Some of us are very grateful for our parents and their parenting. But God, some of us want to go back and we want to do things over in our lives, to do them differently. But God, all we have is all we have right now. Please, God, give us the wisdom to know what to do with this. God, I pray for those who are single and have not yet been married. As they begin thinking about family, God, give them the wisdom. Students, give them all the wisdom the wisdom to hold your standard high and to move toward it right for the first time. And God, for those who are single again, God, for those of us on our second and third or fourth marriages, God, give us the wisdom to know how to do things differently this time. God, give us ears to hear throughout this series. Give us eyes that will search after you, Father. Give us willing hearts. And most of all, God, give us the embrace of your grace right now where we are in these real lives. And it is in the name of Jesus we pray. Jesus, who met the standard for us that we could not meet. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.